very special people group. How many of you recognize that? All right. So do I, and so does my wife. That's one of the reasons why we got into to what we do. Uh, let me share a little bit with you, a little story, and hopefully uh, all of the information that you know I could just share with you outright and be like, Cadence International is a nonprofit organization that, you know, blah, all that type of stuff. Hopefully it'll mean a little more uh, in story form. So let's see how this goes. Uh, so in 1981, I was born. I know you all, there was much rejoicing when that happened. Uh, but not only that, but uh, Cadence International also had a ministry that was born. It was Cadence Student Ministries. Now, I don't know about you, but as missionaries, uh, there's an expectation that you're called, all right? You're called to be a missionary. Uh, I'm going to say something that most missionaries are not supposed to say. I was not called to be a missionary. I was, however, called to keep it simple. I love that song, Love God and Love Others right? We all, we're all called to that. And I was called to that. Uh, but uh, I was not called to being a missionary. But as I look back in my life, I see how God has done things. Like my awesome partner here uh, in life, crime, ministry, all that type of stuff. Uh, just fun little fact, uh, I got to meet her because I uh, her dad's school that he taught at on the East Coast did a partnership with the school we went to on the West Coast. And basically, she could go to school for free because her dad was a professor over somewhere else in the world. Uh, she was the only one to ever utilize that thing. It started when she was going to college, and they shut it down when she was done. So I look at that, and I'm like, God's providence. You know, you, you see those type of things. And, and so I look back to when I was born and realize that Cadence Student Ministries, this ministry of Cadence International, uh, and, and I always do this. I start talking, and it's like, okay, so real quick, you should know. Cadence International, our mission is to share our lives and the gospel with the military community. Okay, so that is, that's why we exist. We want to share our lives and the gospel. And, and really, it's, we want to love God and we want to love military people. Um, and so, so we get this. And Cadence International, who does this and doesn't even know that I exist yet. I don't know why. They don't know I exist. But they start this youth ministry division the year I'm born. All right? In preparation, I'm sure, for me. Uh, and so I'm born. I'm born in California. How many of you are okay with California? I, if you're not, I left two years later. So uh, that should be okay. Moved to Virginia on Quantico, uh, in Quantico, Virginia, Marine Corps base. Three years there, three years moved to Maryland. My mom's working at Bethesda Hospital there. Three years there, moved to Texas. How many of you are keeping up so far? That's what, four moves uh, so far? How many of you have moved four more times in your life? Okay, all right, you're with me here. All right, so we're in uh, Texas, San Antonio, Texas. By the way, my dad decided to stay in Maryland because uh, he didn't like my mom anymore or the military or moving. Uh, so they got divorced. You know, what, 50% uh, of uh, marriages end in divorce today? And uh, I think the military, once you add the military into it, it bumps it up to about 70% uh, of marriages end in divorce in the military. If you're at the last base that we were at, uh, we were doing adult ministry with Cadence in uh, Grafenwehr, Germany. Uh, which is in Bavaria. And uh, I think our base had the highest. It was over 80% because a lot of young, new military people were going there, and then they, about a year later, would get divorced. So, um, so yeah, so that's a fun thing to military life. So my parents got divorced. We moved to Texas. And then my mom comes home one day in that year we're there in Texas. She's like, hey, uh, so the military's going to send me to Japan. I said I wouldn't go without you. So how do you feel about going to Japan? Sweet. 
I think I meet the average height requirement for being in Japan. So this is great for me. Awesome for me. Um, so we move over to Japan. My dad stays in the States. We have a very fun relationship. Typical, you know, broken home, uh, don't talk to him very much kind of thing. Uh, we're over in Japan. And have any of you heard the phrase third culture kid or person? TCKs? All right. Uh, if you haven't, or for those that haven't, here's the basic idea. Uh, it's someone from one culture who lives or grows up in another culture, and so they're like stuck in the middle of those. They create a third culture of we kind of know this, we live in this and kind of know that, but nobody accepts us. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm feeling it right now because I've I lived overseas more than half of my life. We just moved back to the States uh, about a year ago, uh, and this place is confusing to me. Uh, and that's a third culture kid experience. That's what's going on. So I'm starting my third culture kid experience over in Japan. Uh, most of my friends are black or Filipino. Uh, I think I'm Japanese through most of my middle school life. Like, it's a very confusing time for me. Uh, on top of, you know, just the normal awkwardness of uh, adolescence, grow well, uh, getting older, not necessarily growing in my, my situation. Uh, but all the typical life stuff, except now I live away from any family, any grandparents, uh, away from my dad. Uh, you know, I don't have the normal culture that I grew up in, at least as a kid. And, and now I'm having to deal with this. And all the while, uh, my mom has walked away from the Lord because she's a recovering uh, alcoholic and drug addict. Um, she's, she's dealing with her own stuff and being a single mom and being full-time in the military. Uh, and so I'm kind of just there. I'm going to school. I'm doing things. Uh, but the year that I'm actually able to go into a youth group or something like that, I've heard of Jesus. I've heard the stories. Uh, but, you know, I don't really know what it means yet. And the year that I'm actually able to go into youth group, going into seventh grade, uh, Cadence International sends a missionary over to my base uh, and yeah, it's my base, um, send, sends a missionary over to my base, uh, to let the military know, Hey, we can provide this youth ministry that we started when this kid was born. All right. So it's all coming together now that, that the year I'm born, they create this division. Then the year that I can actually go to into this ministry, they send someone over to provide it for me. How awesome is this? God is awesome. Um, and so I go into this, and this guy just straight up, we go at the base of Mount Fuji on this Marine Corps base, uh, Camp Fuji, where he's already run me as a middle school boy. He's run me through the Marine obstacle course as many times as possible because Anthony needs to calm down. Um, and he says, you know what? Here's Jesus. And I'm like, okay, cool. I've heard of him. And he's like, but you know what? You need to know Jesus, and you need to love him because uh, he loves you, and he's done so much for you. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. And I accepted the Lord. All right, and that was the beginning, uh, and then Cadence International, again, sent over another missionary to be there full-time, and for the next five years, I was discipled by this missionary, uh, and, you know, watching really cool movies about law and order and all this type of stuff, I was thinking, and I love arguing, uh, and I may not be the smartest person, but I'll at least make you think I am the smartest person by how much I argue. Um, not that any of us deal with any people like that in our lives. Um, but I'm thinking, okay, maybe a lawyer, I'm really good at math, maybe I'll be an aerodynamics engineer or something like that, because we got the fighter jets and stuff with the aircraft carrier there, and that's just really cool. And then, you know what, again, I wasn't called, but what I did was I looked around and I saw, I had kind of a weird situation. We lived in Japan for eight years. With the military, you usually move around a lot more than that. 
uh, I didn't get away from it. My, fi- my friends moved away. So even though I was there for eight years, I had switched up every year or two my set of friends because they were moving. So I still had to deal with that. But as I'm looking around and I see, well, I've got this friend. His dad's been gone, you know, three to nine months every year with his job and has to deal with not having his dad around. And he used to get in fights all the time. Like, he's, like there's so many other things that were going on. And I was like, I thought I had it rough. Like, my dad's been out of the picture for a long time. Uh, but this guy, he's getting in all kinds of trouble. And I saw that, and I'm reflecting on that. And it's like, do I want to be a lawyer, or do I want to come back and work with military people? And, and the only reason that I bring that up is because sometimes, uh, and I don't know if you do this or whatever, but sometimes we get in this mindset of, like, missionaries are somehow, like, super Christians or something like that. Like, they hear God's word and his calling and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I would love to hear God tell me something directly and audibly. I feel like I ask him to. But I look around, and I'm like, oh, I guess he just wants me to read his word and do the simple things of just love him and love other people well. And, and I, and I want to share that because I want that to be an encouragement of, uh, you know, I don't know what God's calling you to do today in your life uh, with everything, your time, your money, uh, your energy, your giftings, all that type of stuff. But I think a lot of times we can sit and we can wait for God to tell us to do something. And, and that's, he's like, I've already told you, I want you to love God. I want you to love me and I want you to love other people in your life. Well, and so that's really how I got involved in this. Uh, and so I told my youth pastor, I was like, look, I want to come back and work with military people. Cause there are tons of teenagers overseas that don't hear about the Lord. They don't have someone fully invested in their lives, a significant other adult person that is pouring into them. Uh, and, and I want to come back and do that. I think, I think that's how I can love God and love other people. And he's like, great. Go to Multnomah, probably no one's ever heard of that, uh, but go to Multnomah, study youth ministry, and then join Cadence. And that's pretty much, uh, my parents didn't have enough money, uh, to basically just enough to register me for school. I didn't have any money uh, to continue that school, but somehow, you look back, God provided all the way. Uh, God brought an awesome ministry partner uh, into my life. She can put up with me. That's not something a lot of people can do on a full-time basis. Uh, so her giftings really fit in with, you know, our whole working together type thing. Uh, and she I, I didn't really want to learn another language, but wanted to go overseas and do ministry. And it's like, hey, have I got a mission assignment for you? Americans, they speak some form of English. Uh, so we're good to go. And uh, <clears throat> just acronyms. Yes. Yeah. The military is a different culture, though. They are. They have their own language. It's all letters, uh, but not put together in any significant way. Um, in fact, actually, one of my favorite ones. Sorry. I, Steve, you just tell me when I need to get. He's going to tackle me when I need to get off. Uh, my favorite, the most recent, we were uh, running a hospitality house. Uh, and real quick, it was actually the hospitality house in Japan that we moved over that started to draw my mom. That's our adult ministries division, the hospitality ministry, and it pretty much is what it, what it sounds like. Uh, people, missionaries live in a house, and they, they live in it, and they run it, and they open it up throughout the week for people to come and have a home away from home. So that's another, another ministry that Cadence does, is we provide a home for people to be in, be a part of. Uh, we do Bible studies, worship, uh, all this type, gathering together, potlucks. Every Friday night, we had about what, 55 adults, 50, 55 adults, 35 kids upstairs, five teenagers that didn't want to be there. Um, you know, we had them all in our house that Cadence rented, uh, and we, we ate together, we, we lived lives together, uh, we built relationship with people, and then we just 
serve them however we could. Uh, that, that was the ministry that we, we just did. Um, and then to the language part, uh, there was an acronym on our, in our location called RAF, R-A-F, and no one really knew what that meant. Um, it, it, Royal Air Force, if you're English, all right? Uh, but in GRAF, it was uh, regionally aligned forces, or, or was it rotational augmented forces, or, or anyways, so good old, good old military third culture going on there. Um, yeah, what have I missed? I talk a lot. Yeah. All right. Um, so the biggest thing is, uh, you know, right now our assignment, we've, we did youth ministry with Cadence for about 12 years because uh, that had a significant impact in my life. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for Cadence Student Ministries. Um, then because of the Lord leading uh, in different ways, we look back and we see that he led us into the adult ministry division, doing hospitality, working with adults and families. Um, and then uh, while we were over there, there was just so much. We, were, we had just for us and just the ministry we were doing, like I said, we had about you know, 70 to 90 people in our house every Friday night. On Monday nights, we were running about four different small groups. We had a leadership team of volunteers in the community of about 18. And I don't, I don't care about numbers in terms of like there's no comparison type thing. I just want you to get the idea of it was just us two in a community of about 40,000 Americans, 40,000 military people and their families, uh, just us two mostly focusing on trying to reach people, and we were hitting nothing. Like, I mean, we were, we were doing a lot. There was a lot of people that were involved and impacted, uh, and I could give you testimony after testimony. Uh, but the biggest thing is we'd look, and there's still so much to do. There's so much to do. And so we started asking. We were asking Cadence, like, hey, uh, can you send someone? Can you send another staff? Can you send another couple? Uh, we'll take a student ministries person. There's teenagers here. We'll take children's ministry. Uh, if you know how to do a wanna, uh, talk to me about joining our uh, Cadence to do children's ministry. Because uh, I could literally put uh, a children's worker on any military base in the world. Uh, because they will gladly take someone to focus on Awanas, focus on the families, bring the children in and disciple them and stuff. They, they'll have it. Um, and we started realizing this, and that's what put us here in the States right now. Uh, we've been in the U.S. for about a year, and we're here. Uh, I'm doing recruiting and hiring uh, of new missionaries, and Jessica is um, <clears throat> training them, helping them raise their support, and getting them to the field. Uh, so we're kind of the dynamic duo of mobilization right now. Um, and we're a part of a team that's trying to do it. Uh, but as of right now, like, there are no, that we have one children's ministry uh, going on. It's in Okinawa. Uh, when we joined the mission and got in doing youth ministry, there was about uh, 40, um, just in Germany, there was about 40 adults that were focused on youth ministry. Now, globally, we only have about four that are focused on youth ministry. Um, and then as far as adult ministry and hospitality houses, there are so many places. When we were coming back to the States, we had a lot of friends that were with us overseas. And they're like, hey, come here and open a house. Come here and do this, like do this ministry. There's tons of need. So we're here, uh, we're recruiting, and we're trying to find new missionaries uh, and then praying that the Lord takes us back to doing field ministry. We're excited about that. We wanna work with teens. We wanna work with families again. Um, but for now, he has us here recruiting, and uh, so we're going to remain faithful to do that. And in order to do, to, in order to do that, uh, we need prayer and we need money. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that we're letting people know. Please pray for us. <laughs> 
you've heard me talk. Please pray for me, um, you know, in general. That will help my wife uh, pray for us as a family, uh, as a ministry. Pray that we can find people because uh, the world needs, I mean, the harvest, you look around, I'm, I'm sure you can look at each other and be like, the harvest is plenty, uh, but the workers are few. There's probably tons to do in Rock Springs, but maybe not enough people doing it. And just like that, globally, for military people and their families, uh, there's like over 3 million uh, military, active duty military and their families. And, and there's just a, a handful of us that are doing ministry uh, and serving them. So uh, please pray that we can do our job well and find workers. Uh, but in order to keep us doing that, we also need finances to keep going. Uh, and so I think we're, what are we at, a, needing around 1300 a month? Uh, so monthly sustained support of 1300 um, And we always break it down because I don't know about you, but that number always feels very awkward and large to me. Uh, but we break it down. It's like, hey, 13 people at $100 a month uh, supporting us and, and doing the ministry we do. Um, you know, it makes it a little more bite-sizable. I could do that. Um, even if someone came to us and asked, like, all right, cool. Uh, but any amount is helpful. Literally, any amount is helpful. And uh, I want you to know, like, our hearts are really, like, we're just going to keep going. As long as God keeps sustaining us and providing, we're going to keep going. So uh, we're putting that out there. Uh, we ask that you would think about and pray about maybe joining us and serving military people. Uh, and that, seriously, that can be through prayer, finances. If you want to do ministry to the military, I will gladly uh, talk with you about that. And then uh, we got a very little swag uh, if you want a little photo uh, prayer magnet, you can stick on your fridge and pray for us. Think of us. We've got that. Uh, we've got a couple stickers. If any of you hydro flask people need something to cover up the blank spaces uh, on your water bottles or, or your laptop. And then uh, I've got my business card. If you want to connect, and seriously, this, and this is how I recruit. Because I go to college students, uh, and, and they're kind of like, they do the nice obligatory, oh, you're the missionary visiting um, you know, let's talk about your ministry. I'm like, you don't want to talk about my ministry. Let's talk about the cute girls on campus, because I know that's what really what you want to talk about. Uh, so we'll get together and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. I am totally, I love just connecting, relating with people, uh, sharing our stories and our, uh, about our lives and the Lord. Um, so if you want to grab a business card and just connect, uh, for whatever reason, I am down. On the back is a QR code, for those of you that do that kind of thing. Um, and you can schedule time with me if you want. Uh, we might have trouble meeting up, maybe in the middle, uh, maybe at a McDonald's in uh, Rollins. I hear that's really good. Um, so, but uh, yeah, anyways, um, cool. Is that? Yeah, I'll throw a few of these on the table back there if that's okay. And, or you can just grab them from us. So. Yeah. All right. I appreciate the time. Thank you. So in the military, the cadence... It's what the sergeant drills into you when you learn to march. Because everyone learns to march. That's how you keep time with the people next to you. Someone's giving you a cadence, someone's giving you a beat, someone's giving you a rhythm to walk in step with them. And that's what Cadence Ministries is doing for the military. Is giving them an opportunity to walk in step. Just like Jesus said to his disciples. He didn't say, get your life together, and then maybe you can be a, one of my guys. He said, follow me. Take steps with me. And see what God has for you. Because spending time in Jesus' presence changes everything. That's why we're here this morning. So I invite you, 
Uh, Anthony and Jessica are going to be at the table uh, on, and on your way out. If you didn't catch that, there's your clue. And we invited them to come so that you could meet them. It's an identified people group that we can all connect with. The military, everybody knows someone that serves. And to see God be able to reach into the midst of that and connect with people and help people and change their lives uh, is, is powerful. And so I invite you, as you're buying your four bucks coffee tomorrow, Starbucks, I'm sorry, you peel one of those off a week and that's a $13 bill that would support a missionary family around the world. Something to think about. We are looking at supporting them as a church as well. One of the things that identifies a healthy church is how much they are not just taking in in funds. We don't ever ask for an offering, but how much they're giving specifically to missions. When you start tracking those numbers, you can see signs of a healthy church. And Ordinary Faith does that. We support missionaries, and we're very intentional about who we work with and why. And that's why we've invited the Amores to be with us this morning. One of the things that Anthony said is somehow God provided all along the way. He was talking about when he was in college. That's how missions life works. But let's be honest, that's how life works for us, no matter what. God provides all along the way. And the somehow comes into play because sometimes we look at God and we're like, where are you? This is a massive need that I'm dealing with right here, right now, and I can't find you anywhere. Sometimes you'll get a rock flown up into your windshield. If you're in Wyoming for any length of time, 80 miles an hour on a freeway, you've had a rock come flying at your windshield. Some days it just bounces off, no harm, no foul. Some days there's this tiny little chip that's left. Sometimes it cracks and turns into something like this, and if your car's like my car, that's how it looks right now. Because you can drive around. And, but some days a rock comes and it just flat out shatters everything. Several years ago we lived on a couple of acres and there was a long rock driveway. It was, and Emery was probably five. And he doesn't have an arm. And he certainly doesn't have aim. But he picked up a rock and just flung it and we're like... <sighs> and sure enough, it hit a window and my car and <sharp inhale> cracked it. I mean, shattered it. It wasn't just a crack. It wasn't just a chip. It just took a beating. It was one of those windows that had to be replaced. Faith is like that a lot of the time. Sometimes our faith takes a hit and it just it glances off. No harm, no foul. Sometimes our faith gets a little chip or a crack in it. And sometimes something climbs up and flies at us out of nowhere and just shatters us. We don't see it coming. We don't necessarily know how to respond because this was unexpected. There are moments that shatter us. Sometimes they're life-altering things that don't make any sense. Sometimes um, they don't just crater us personally. It's our faith that gets put on tilt. Death will do that. Someone passes away unexpectedly, especially if they could have recovered Someone gets a diagnosis, maybe that may as well be a death sentence. Cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, heart conditions, neurological issues like Parkinson's. 
Financial crisis can do that, can shatter us. Going through a divorce, even like Anthony said, the crazy thing about 50% of marriages is they last forever. Oh wait, that's the wrong statistic. Is that sometimes watching as the faith of someone who's close to you, their faith falls apart, takes a hit, can really shatter you. Sometimes the little cracks stack up. They start out like the, the, the initial picture and, and they just, the weather hits them and they kind of grow and build over time. We're here, we've seen that all the time. Things like isolation and doubt and abandonment and confusion and just pain. Maybe things that you did, maybe things that were done to you can cause your faith to shadow. Maybe you've gone through those moments. Maybe you're going through them right now. Maybe people around you are aware and maybe they don't have a clue at all because sometimes the interesting thing about safety glass and tempered glass is that it can shatter without falling apart in front of you. And sometimes the people sitting right next to you are shattered and they're just holding it together, pretending that everything's okay so that they can come to church and smile on a Sunday morning because we all know that pretending everything is fine on a Sunday morning is a lot like getting dressed up to go get an x-ray. God's going to see through it either way. Human beings suffer. We know that, of course. We see it all around us. We read about it. We watch it in news reports. And as long as it's at arm's length, it's, it's just a statistic. We know that humans suffer. We know that Jesus is the answer because we've heard that. And that's why we gather and we believe it. We've even heard that God's always with us, that he never leaves us or forsake us, that the weapons that the enemy forms against us won't prosper. In fact, we're going to sing that song here in a minute. You know how it goes. Right? The weapons, uh, the weapons formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God never fails. And Christian life's great until the pain becomes personal, until it becomes our pain, until it smacks us in the knees or in the face. Until I'm the one suffering, until it's somebody close to me that's suffering. Until an unexpected rock shatters my faith and I'm left asking why. Why, God, won't you intervene? Why doesn't this end? Why won't you protect me? Why does it hurt so much? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Why can't we just catch a break? And if we're honest, when it's our pain, when it's our loved ones that are suffering, the song kind of takes a twist and it Sounds like this. The weapons that are formed are sharp and pointy. They hurt when I get stabbed and I get cut. I've heard that God will win, but until then, I'll try not to bleed on the rug. Yeah, you can sing it. We need to know that we follow a Savior who isn't oblivious to us in our pain. Yeah? When we're going through... The valley of the shadow, that's a nice way for the Bible to say, when we're going through hell, we just need to know that God is real. We need to know that the rubber actually hits the road. We need to know that there's something more than a meme that says, hold on, because everything happens for good. We need a little more than a positive-looking 
t-shirt. But to get to that point, we've got to understand who God really is, not just who we've imagined him to be, because that always leaves us wanting who we'd prefer him to be. Otherwise, when we get shattered and go through pain and we can't find God, which will happen sooner or later, in the middle of our suffering, we're in danger of walking away from our faith. Can we talk about this in church? If we don't, we may never have a chance to honestly deal with it in a proper context. So let's start with some truth. First, humans suffer. Sorry. We've already mentioned that, but it's a reality we can't ignore. Second, pain doesn't destroy your faith. Pain only exposes your faith. Pain will rip the lid off and let you peek and understand what's inside the canister. Has a way of revealing who you really are and what you believe. Third, we question God. Let's at least admit it. We question God's plans and his motives. We ask things like, Okay, don't you see that this is going on? Don't you understand what we're going through? Don't you care that I'm drowning? If we're honest, we'd admit that at one time or another, that's all been us, been been all of us. There's this feeling that we've been abandoned by God and left to our own devices. As a result, we wonder if God's even there. As a result, we ask the question, Why? As a result, we haven't been able to find good answers because we're asking, in fact, the wrong question. And on some level, we get left feeling shattered. Maybe that's just me this week, this morning. Maybe that's just what our family and the people we know are going through. But I don't think so. Today, we're going to look at a story out of John's Gospel real quick. This is a story about people who did all the right things. They followed Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the answer. And according to Scripture, they were some of Jesus' closest friends. And they were shattered in the hour of their deepest need because God (laughs) didn't show up. They called on Jesus, and he didn't. So let's take a look. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the oil that was a year's worth of wages over Jesus' feet and washed it with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, your dear friend is really sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness won't end in death. Oh, good. In fact, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Great. That's What we would expect of Jesus, we're going to take whatever the situation and use it for God's glory. Praise Jesus. He won't die. God gets the glory. Scripture goes on and says, Now Jesus loved Mary, loved Martha, rather, and her sister, who was Mary and Lazarus. He loved them. The the Greek word, the the friend love. These were like Jesus' best friends. According to Scripture, this is who we've got as Jesus' best friends. So when he heard that Lazarus was, was sick... Obviously, he ran right over, healed him, took care of everything, and that's what we would expect from a good Bible story. But what we get is this. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? What? 
This wasn't accidental. This wasn't an oversight. This was Jesus deliberately waiting and delaying and not showing up as soon as he could. Why? Why would our Savior, rescuer, why would he do that? Why would our Savior leave him hanging when time was of the essence? We just read it in verse 4. It says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, oh, it's for God's glory. So the God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, in other words, we're going to sit tight a couple of days. So God gets glory, and honestly, so I get some glory too. Is that really our Savior? Because that's how it reads. Got to be honest, when I'm suffering, stuff like this is hard to swallow. When I look at this passage, it still doesn't give me good, solid answers as to what in the world, God, are you doing? It's hard to imagine that, uh, that Jesus just sits back and ignores our prayers. And yet that's how this feels. That's how this reads. Certainly the picture that's painted. When it's a matter of life and death and God isn't showing up, can we really double down and believe that God isn't oblivious to what we're going through? Can we ask that question in church? The story continues. Then Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. <laughs> oh, teacher, they said. A few days ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And now you're going back? Jesus said, well, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples are like, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get up on his own. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So Jesus knew. So he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sakes, I'm glad. Wait, What? For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you'll really believe. Let's go see him. <laughs> Thomas, always good for something, said, Hey, let's go die with Jesus. Because we're going back where they're trying to kill us. So now even his own disciples think there's no point in going back. Lazarus is already dead. Going back to Bethany is nothing more than a death sentence. Let's do that, because... The story continues. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had been already dead in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to the edge of the city to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Martha said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. God, if you'd had only shown up, my brother would still be here. God, I wasn't even asking for myself. If you would have come, he would be, you're the miracle worker. We were asking for a miracle from the worker of miracles, our best friend. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She's like, yeah, of course, everyone's going to rise again at the last day. Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He took her back to her foundation of faith. Okay, can you see that for a moment? She said, yes, Lord. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. 
But if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then she went and grabbed Mary and said, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately goes to him. Jesus hadn't entered the village still, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, huh, this sounds familiar. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They both say the same thing when they see Jesus. Jesus' best friends. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. What took you so long, Jesus? Can you imagine a Jewish woman walking up and saying, what took you so long, Jesus? If you wouldn't have waited, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. If you would have shown up on time, we wouldn't have been suffering like this. Which basically comes down to a simple question. Do you care? Do you care? And of course they asked that question, because in our hour of need, that's the exact question we're asking. That's the exact thing we're facing. That's exactly what we're dealing with. Don't you care? Instead of showing up, Jesus did exactly the opposite. And by the time Jesus did show up, Lazarus had been dead four days. What kind of Savior does that? What kind of Savior holds back when his people call on him, when we need him? What kind of Savior chooses silence over bringing comfort? What kind of Savior chooses absence and delay? What kind of Savior would allow people like us to be shattered? Here's another truth. We've already mentioned that humans suffer and that pain exposes your faith and that we question God, but here's another truth to go with those. Suffering isn't the worst thing that can happen to us. Sorry, I know that's probably not what you want to hear this morning, but suffering isn't the worst thing that can happen to a person. Sometimes we can't find God in the middle of our pain because we're not actually looking for God. We're actually looking for a God to show up at the time and place that we want, in the way that we want to give us what we want. We're looking for... It's kind of a puny God. Someone that does what I want, when I want, how I want. It reminds me of Hulk grabbing Loki and saying... God. Sometimes we can't find God in the middle of our pain because that's not who we're actually looking for. The reality is, and again, I'm sorry, but we're never as close to God as we are when we're suffering. We're never as alive to God's purposes as we are when we are suffering. We're never finely tuned saying, God, where are you? When things are going great, the last thing we're saying is, well, God, why aren't you? No. When things are going great, we see God everywhere. We simply have to learn to see God clearly. We have to learn to live in awareness of God's presence. And the time to do that is now, not until we're suffering again. Some more bad news. You'll like this. Pain comes with a gift. Pain's gift is that it increases our awareness. Suffering heightens our sense of need and deepens our heart's cry for help. Yes, suffering hurts, but what heals us, actually heals us, is a growing awareness of God's presence in our lives. The longer I'm telling you, the longer I live as a Jesus follower, the less interested I am in platitudes, in it's going to be okays, in happy, peppy radio station Christianity, in 
<sighs> emptiness. The good news about the gospel is the kind of God that we have in Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We still have to receive the good news of the gospel, but he is here to be with us. And God's goodness is meant to be received in the presence of pain, not to be proven by the absence of pain. How do you measure God's goodness? No, really. I mean, we all do it. It's not a trick question. How do you measure the goodness of God? Most of us tend to measure God's goodness by the amount of blessings we're having at any given time. Right? It's just wrong thinking because the goodness of God is unending. That's kind of looking for a God to show up to give us what we want when we want it. The reality is God never entered our lives to end our pain. He never came to this world to end our suffering. And the story of Lazarus is this crazy example of this. Extraordinary, really. What it teaches us is that our perspective, our perspective, my perspective, simply isn't adequate to understand what God's doing at any given time. I just don't have the ability to look and understand all of what he's got going on. There's a song in the chorus that says, God's too wise to be mistaken. Do you believe that? If you do, you, if you do or don't, that's based on what you know about God and what you think of God. God's too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and when you can't see his plan and when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Today, if God seems to be absent or oblivious or just not showing up, Take heart, he might be doing more than we could ever think or imagine. So how can we take whatever we're going through and use it to bring glory to God? How can we take the baggage that we're carrying, the crises that we're facing, and view them as an opportunity? So today I've got two things for you. One's a practical suggestion. And one's a spiritual solution. The practical suggestion says this. Quit asking why questions. Instead, ask how questions. Why questions lead us into areas that we aren't necessarily equipped to be able to answer. And when we can't answer the question, why God, we wind up falling into despair. And it puts us in a soup that we can't get ourselves out of. A lot of time, there aren't good enough answers to hard why questions. This is just a practical suggestion from me. You won't find this in your Bible. So why questions end up becoming self-defeating and purposeless? How questions sound like, how can I take another step? How can I trust God in spite of what I'm seeing? How can I hang on in the middle of this? How can I bring glory to God through this or in spite of this or because of this? How questions tend to be solution-oriented, and when you're shattered, they can help you navigate towards the edges of what you're going through, towards belief in God rather than away from faith. How, God, can you use this? 
Next to spiritual solution, find a promise of God from Scripture to hold on to. Now, this can be tricky because we hold on to promises that aren't necessarily scriptural. We do this all the time. They're, they're close, but not exactly, and they let us down. It can be easy to fall into that, so this may take a little legwork, but to get us started, I've collected a handful of promises from God. And I put them on the back of today's bulletin. So if this is you and you need to grab one on the way out, feel free. They're back on the table. When you think about it, it's interesting that God would make promises to us at all. This is the creator of the universe. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't strike bargains with people. There's nothing we have that he needs. So what would be the point of him bargaining? He gives promises because it reveals his nature to us. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we're unfaithful, God remains faithful. He can't deny who he is. Because he's faithful by nature, nature, God's promises are unwavering. He's also a giver by nature. John 3.16, the verse that follows, you know this. God gave his only son for our sake, our salvation, not to condemn us, but to redeem us. The promises of God are given to anchor our hope in him when we need him most. So find one that fits your situation and learn it. Repeat it to yourself throughout the day and pray that promise in your darkest moments as a mechanism, as a means, as a way to invite God to show up for you. Here's one. God's always with me so I can let go of fear. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Here's another. God's always in control so we can let go of doubt. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. Here's another. God is always good so I can let go of despair. Nahum 1, 7 says this. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. How can we double down on trust when things are falling apart? Here's how. He's close to those who trust in him. Number four, God is always faithful, so I won't give up. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says this. Don't be afraid. I've ransomed you already. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames won't consume you. It didn't say we wouldn't get singed, but we won't be consumed. God's always faithful, so we won't give up. The last one, God's always victorious, so I won't fail. Isaiah 54, 17 says, In that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. By anchoring our hope in a promise of God, we get to know who God really is. 
not just an imaginary God that we make up that shows up when we expect him to and does the things we want him to and fits in our nice, tidy little box, but the God who really exists. Today we're going to close by saying a prayer together, and I'm going to invite you to stand up and let's read a prayer together. So let's stand. We're going to read this together. Say it with me. Lord, open my eyes that I may see you. Open my ears that I may hear you. Open my mouth that I may praise you. And open my heart that I may know you. Help me to receive all that you have for me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing with us as we close. Worship team.